Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Monday, January 21st. 1985, would go down in the history books as one of the coldest days on record for the eastern United States and central Canada. Dubbed the freeze of the century, the bitter winter storm had caused over a hundred deaths and millions of dollars in damage. The city of Toronto was virtually shut down. The storm had dumped over two feet of snow The roads were a mess, and no one was getting anywhere fast. But the storm hadn't stopped one woman from getting to where she needed to be. Mrs. Nancy Eaton hadn't heard from her daughter all day and was very concerned. Mrs. Eaton and her daughter, also named Nancy, were extremely close. They spoke every day, and only lived a few kilometers apart. The two Nancys had chatted the night before while Nancy and her friend Andrew were watching the Super Bowl. Andrew was six years younger than Nancy, but the two got along well. They had known each other since childhood, spending summers together at their neighboring Muskoka cottages. Andrew was troubled and had a lot of issues but Nancy considered him to be her little bro and would let him sleep on her couch if he had nowhere to go. Given the bad snowstorm, Mrs. Eaton assumed Andrew would probably be spending the night at Nancy's. But since their conversation late Sunday night, Mrs. Eaton hadn't heard from Nancy all day Monday. She had left several voice messages and she had received a strange call from a man saying, it's a beautiful day, before hanging up, but nothing from her daughter. When Mrs. Eaton later discovered that Nancy hadn't shown up at the real estate office she worked at, the worried mother threw on her fur coat and raced over to her daughter's home on Farnham Avenue. And it was there, in the darkened apartment, barely illuminated by the flashing red light on the answering machine and a single string of bulbs on a dried-out Christmas tree that the doting mother discovered her beautiful 23-year-old daughter naked and lying in a pool of blood on the floor of her bedroom. She had been brutally murdered and Mrs. Eaton knew exactly who had done it. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of a tragic murder that shook the country and pitted two of Canada's most prominent families against one another in the pursuit of justice. She was beautiful, successful, and generous to a fault. Her killer was aimless and deeply troubled. Yet, They were the closest of friends. When he was upset, she listened. When he had nowhere to go, she offered him a place to stay. But then he decided she had to die. 
Was he a cold-blooded killer? Or was something else responsible for his actions on that cold winter night? Was he bad? Or simply mad? A critical distinction when it would come to determining his guilt. This is Fatal Friendship, The Murder of Nancy Eaton. When the police arrived at number 4 Farnham Avenue on the evening of Monday, January 21st, 1985, they were met by a frantic older woman in a fur coat outside the four-story building. She was barefoot, standing in the snow. Investigators would later discover the woman's clothing in the bathtub in the apartment upstairs. The distraught mother had soiled herself after discovering her daughter's body. My daughter's been murdered. She's dead, cried the woman. I know who did it, she said. It was Andrew. The responding officers made their way up to the fourth floor apartment. There they discovered the body of Nancy Eaton. She was lying on the floor of her bedroom naked and covered in blood. Her torn nightgown was wrapped around her neck. It appeared that she had been stabbed multiple times and possibly sexually assaulted. Almost every surface in the bedroom was splattered in blood. And looking under the bed, the police discovered a bloodied knife with its long blade bent out of shape. Also cowering under the bed was a terrified cat. And while the crime scene had all the hallmarks of a vicious attack, there were also some strange things found in the apartment. There were two raw eggs, broken and left on the floor, one in the bedroom and one in the bathroom. And the killer had placed a large potted palm tree on top of the blood-soaked bed. The apartment appeared to have been ransacked. Nancy's purse had been dumped out in the bedroom. The killer had obviously been looking for something. Was this a robbery gone bad? When homicide investigators arrived not long after the discovery of the body, they encountered a dramatic scene. A curious crowd of onlookers had gathered outside Farnham Avenue, and word had already spread that Nancy Eaton, the great-great-granddaughter of department store founder Timothy Eaton, had been murdered. The dead woman's mother was inconsolable, but she told the police she knew who had killed Nancy. It was Andrew Leishon Hughes, The 17-year-old had been at Nancy's the night before. In fact, Mrs. Eaton had spoken to him on the phone. The distraught woman told the police that Andrew had a troubled past and had just recently been seeking help at the mental health hospital in Penetanguishing. Mrs. Eaton also believed that it was Andrew who had called her from Nancy's phone that morning. But Nancy had been his friend, a supportive big sister, who was always there for him and would let him sleep on her couch when he had nowhere else to go. Why would he have done this to the one person he could turn to? It just didn't make any sense. But where was Andrew now? The police soon discovered that Nancy's car was missing. They sent out a provincial all-points bulletin to be on the lookout for a 1979 white Buick Skylark with a distinctive license plate that read Tiger, Nancy Eaton's affectionate nickname. Suspect could be armed and dangerous. 
they had to find Andrew Leshawn Hughes before he attacked again. Just before midnight, Toronto police received a call from the Ontario Provincial Police in Bradford, Ontario, approximately 55 kilometers north of Toronto. Nancy's car had been spotted at the entrance to a gas station. The car had apparently stalled and the driver was stuck. When an OPP officer arrived, he realized the white Buick Skylark with the personalized plates was the car wanted in a Toronto murder. The young driver was quickly apprehended and did not resist. When the Toronto police arrived at the OPP detachment in Bradford later that night, they arrested 17-year-old Andrew Leshawn Hughes and drove him back to Toronto. Andrew slept the whole way. Around the same time, Andrew's parents were arriving home from their Mexican vacation. They'd had a wonderful holiday. The following day, January 22nd, as the city dug out from a violent winter storm, the news of Nancy Eaton's murder made front-page headlines. The beautiful heiress to the Eaton dynasty had been viciously attacked and killed in her own home in an upscale area of the city. The police announced that a suspect had already been arrested, but did not name him. It was the fifth homicide of the new year in Toronto. Then, two days after the body of Nancy Eaton was discovered in her midtown apartment in Toronto, a picture of her alleged killer was splashed across the front page of every major Canadian newspaper. And the image was shocking. He was just a kid. A good-looking, baby-faced teenager with long, chestnut-brown hair. How could he be a cold-blooded killer? Did the police have the right person? They did, because he had already confessed. After his arrest, Andrew admitted to murdering his close friend, Nancy Eaton. In a chilling account of the events, Andrew calmly told the police that on the morning of January 21st, he was awakened by Nancy's TV in her bedroom that she had programmed to come on at 8.10 a.m. He walked into Nancy's bedroom. She was still sleeping. He then proceeded to the kitchen, where he picked up a nine-inch butcher knife. He then walked back into Nancy's bedroom. He stood over his sleeping friend, watching her. Then, he plunged the knife into her head. Once, twice, three times, four times. Nancy screamed, but no one heard her. She tried to fight back, but Andrew kept stabbing. Finally, Nancy stopped moving. She was dead. Andrew, covered in her blood, stood over her, staring down at what he had done. He felt excited. He then admitted to the police that he had sex with her dead body. When asked about the broken eggs found at the crime scene, Andrew said that he was juggling some eggs that he got out of the fridge. I dropped one in the bathroom and tossed the other. I was just juggling them, he said matter-of-factly. And the potted palm on the bed? Andrew had no recollection but detectives theorized that it had probably been moved in the course of ransacking the apartment. After he killed Nancy, Andrew said he made himself a cup of coffee, had a shower, and put on a white tracksuit that belonged to Nancy. When asked if he had called Mrs. Eaton that morning, 
Andrew said he had no recollection of making the call. He then rummaged through the apartment, dumping Nancy's purse out in the bedroom. He took $45 in cash and her car keys. Then, in an ironic twist, he drove to the Eaton Centre, the iconic Toronto shopping mall named after Nancy's great-great-grandfather, Timothy Eaton. There, Andrew hooked up with a friend and paid him back $40 he owed him. He then returned to Nancy's apartment and, using Nancy's checkbook, forged a check payable to himself for $191. The forged signature was good enough to fool the bank cashier, but the written and numerical versions of the amount didn't match. Thwarted in his attempt to steal money out of Nancy's bank account, he returned to the apartment again to write another forged check for $150, which he successfully cashed. He drove back to the Eaton Center and had some beer at the restaurant his friend worked at. Later, he bought clothes and called on some friends who declined his offer to snort some cocaine. He then decided to drive out of town. He told the police that he was headed for Collingwood, a ski resort town two and a half hours northwest of Toronto. Andrew had skied there often as a kid, and he planned to drive off a cliff in Nancy's white Buick. He said he felt bad about what he had done and wanted to die. 17-year-old Andrew Leishon Hughes was charged with the first-degree murder of 23-year-old Nancy Eaton. His next home was the infamous Don Jail in Toronto's East End, not a welcoming place for a teenager. Put in protective custody for his own safety, Andrew would try suicide again after a few months in a squalid, claustrophobic prison cell. But he was never successful in his attempts at self-harm. And he would ultimately have to face up to what he had done to his friend Nancy. For the seasoned homicide detectives who investigated the murder, it appeared to be an airtight case. They had the murder weapon, other physical evidence, and Andrew had given them a full confession. The Crown would have no trouble getting a conviction, and the teenage killer would likely get life in prison. But Andrew's future was not so simply mapped out. His parents had hired one of Canada's foremost criminal defense attorneys, who would argue that regardless of the overwhelming evidence, Andrew was not guilty of killing Nancy. In fact, according to his lawyer, he wasn't guilty of anything. In Canada, you cannot be convicted of a criminal offence if you are deemed insane. Under Section 16 of the Criminal Code, no person is criminally responsible for an act committed while suffering from a mental disorder that rendered the person incapable of appreciating the nature and quality of the act or of knowing that it was wrong. And while wrong can imply moral wrong, the courts are only interested in legal wrong. Did the offender know that the consequences of an act constituted an offense under the criminal code? So at the time of the murder, what was Andrew's state of mind? And did he understand what he was doing was wrong. That would become the critical question at his murder trial, and it would be the defense attorney's job to prove that Andrew 
was not legally responsible for what he had done. In other words, the defense would argue that Andrew was insane at the time of murdering Nancy Eaton and therefore was not guilty of the crime. Representing Andrew in his insanity defense was Clayton Ruby, one of Canada's most prominent criminal lawyers who was no stranger to high-profile cases. If the plea of not guilty by reason of insanity was to be put forward successfully, then Ruby would have to show that even if Andrew knew what he had done, he was unable to appreciate its nature and was unable to fully comprehend the legal consequences of his actions. Andrew Leshawn Hughes' murder trial began on September 15, 1986, 20 months after he had butchered Nancy Eaton as she slept. The trial attracted a great deal of media attention, as the killer and the victim both belonged to two of Canada's most prestigious families, the Eatons and the Oslers. Reporters and news photographers stood outside the courthouse on University Avenue every day, trying to get an interview or a photograph of the devastated families at the heart of the murder trial. Mrs. Nancy Eaton arrived every day in a chauffeur-driven black limousine. Frail, yet composed, she was always elegantly dressed and made an effort to smile at those gathered. She wasn't going to allow the world to see her inner turmoil. Since her daughter's brutal murder, the elder Nancy had lost her will to live. For 23 years, all of her focus had been on young Nancy, her beautiful girl who had overcome a severe hearing impairment and a difficult childhood. But now she was gone and Mrs. Eaton had lost another family member, someone she had once been close to. Her former husband, Edward Eaton, had died. He and his daughter, whom he had affectionately nicknamed Tiger, had never been particularly close, especially after he and his wife had divorced when Tiger was just five. But in recent years, Mr. Eaton and Nancy had reconnected and had been enjoying a healthier relationship. In fact, they had spent Christmas together just three weeks before Nancy's murder. Her death had devastated him. He had missed so much of her growing up due to his own selfishness and alcoholism. Edward Eaton died of a stroke just six months after Nancy was killed. Now, Mrs. Eaton was truly alone and had to face the young man who had killed her beloved tiger. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Standing beside his esteemed lawyer, Clayton Ruby, the now 19-year-old defendant, Andrew LeSean Hughes, had pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. His parents, grandparents, and his Aunt Amy sat behind him. In his opening remarks, Crown Counsel Paul Chumack stated that it was the Crown's argument that Andrew LeSean Hughes murdered Nancy Eaton in the course of a sexual assault. And at the time of the murder, Andrew was of sound mind and knew exactly what he was doing on that cold winter morning when he stood over a sleeping Nancy and plunged a nine-inch knife into her repeatedly. Then, said the Crown Attorney, Andrew had sex with Nancy's dead body. And when he was finished, he threw the bedclothes over her so he didn't have to look at what he had done. And in a strange move, he went into the kitchen, took two eggs out of the fridge, and juggled them over his victim. He ransacked the apartment, dumped out the contents of Nancy's purse beside her body, put a potted plant on top of the blood-soaked bed, and then decided to call Nancy's mum. It's a beautiful day, he told Mrs. Eaton before hanging up the phone. And then it was time for Andrew to get on with his day, continued Crown Attorney Chumack. He made himself a cup of coffee, took a shower to wash off all the blood on his body, and changed into some of Nancy's clothing. He could only find $45 in cash, so he wrote himself a check, carefully forging Nancy's signature, and left the apartment in Nancy's car to visit with friends. But when the check didn't pass inspection at the bank, he returned to Nancy's apartment to get a second check and change clothes again, stepping over Nancy's dead body as it lay on the floor by her bed. Feeling flush with $200 in his hand, Andrew then decided to go shopping. He bought a gram of cocaine off a dealer on the street and then indulged in a couple of tapes from a record shop. He'd enjoy listening to them while he was cruising around in Nancy's Buick. After calling on some friends and trying to entice them into snorting some of the cocaine he had purchased, Andrew finally decided he should head out of town. 
Are these the actions of an insane person? Crown counsel Paul Chumak asked the jury. Andrew murdered Nancy Eaton, then committed a sexual assault, said Chumak. He knew exactly what he wanted and was determined to get it, concluded the Crown attorney. It was now up to Clayton Ruby to prove to the jury that Andrew did not appreciate the nature and quality of what he had done. In his dramatic opening remarks, Ruby stated that the case before the jury was very much about mental disease, and it was clear that the Ontario health system had failed Andrew LeSean Hughes his entire life, including just three days before the murder, when Andrew had sought help by telling his uncle he was feeling uncontrollable surges of energy. But a doctor at Toronto General dismissed his concerns as, quote, normal teenage hormonal problems. But Andrew felt he was about to explode, continued his lawyer. He took a bus to Penetanguishing Mental Health Centre, a place where he felt safe. There, a staff psychologist suggested group therapy and did not readmit him. They let him go, said Ruby, and told him to play some hockey to relieve his stress. The Ontario Health System failed my client when he needed it the most, said Ruby. Concluding his remarks, Clayton Ruby said he would call several expert witnesses to support his theory that Andrew LeSean Hughes was legally insane when he stabbed and sexually assaulted his friend Nancy Eaton on the morning of January 21, 1985. He also promised that the psychiatric evidence would show that Andrew's seemingly normal behavior after the murder was consistent with the kind of mental illness his client suffered from. In support of the Crown's case, the jury of seven men and five women were shown 69 disturbing and graphic photographs of the crime scene. The victim lying on her back on the floor. The blood splattered walls. The bent and blood-stained knife. And the victim's torn nightgown and panties. The jury was also shown autopsy photos that revealed that Nancy had been stabbed 21 times, including six times in the heart. And while it was obvious that the jurors were having difficulty looking at the images, Andrew sat slumped in his seat, showing no emotion. The first witness called by the Crown was Mrs. Nancy Eaton, her voice barely audible as she relived that horrible winter night when she discovered her daughter's body. She told the court that since Nancy's murder, her days were filled with endless grief and her nights with fear. She was afraid to go to sleep as the nightmare of what she saw would return and the images of Nancy dead, covered in blood, would play over and over in her mind. Every day, she would walk for hours, even in the freezing cold, as it was the only thing that would numb the pain. Most afternoons, she would end up at Nancy's grave in Mount Pleasant Cemetery. Her only solace now was Tinkerbell, Nancy's poor cat. On the witness stand, Mrs. Eaton maintained her composure as she managed to get through her excruciating testimony. When asked about Andrew LeSean Hughes, the grieving mother only had positive things to say about the teenager. All I ever saw was this dear, patient, sweet child, said Mrs. Eaton, who had met Andrew at their summer cottage. He would take younger kids out water skiing, playing tennis and swimming. 
He never got angry, she said. I'm sure if someone had known he had these mad rages, they would have warned us. The next group of witnesses were various friends and acquaintances of Andrew, who had seen him on the day of the murder. With most testifying that he seemed calm and normal, nothing out of the ordinary. As the trial continued, defense lawyer Clayton Ruby and Crown Counsel Paul Chumack became embattled in establishing the sequence of the sexual attack. Under Canadian law, a sex attack that results in death is automatically first-degree murder. The defense tactic in the event that the insanity plea failed, therefore, was to bring forward testimony that would distance the time between the killing and the sexual assault, resulting in a lesser charge. But pathologist Dr. Hans Sepp told the court that he had no way of telling whether Andrew had sex with Nancy Eaton before or after her death. At the conclusion of the Crown's case, Paul Chumack had not called any psychiatric experts. He felt the nature of the crime, the sexual assault, and Andrew's subsequent actions proved he was fully aware of what he had done. The defense's first witness was Andrew's mother, Sarah. She painfully described how she and her husband had spent years trying to get to the root of Andrew's bizarre behavior. She referenced his difficult birth and his emotional difficulties that had manifested as early as two years of age. Cared for by a series of nannies and daycares while both his parents worked, Andrew began having temper tantrums and would fly into rages. School then became an ongoing battle between Andrew and his parents, as he would refuse to do his homework and would often get into schoolyard fights. By the time he quit attending classes in grade 10, his parents were at their wit's end. Our home became a battlefield, said an emotional Sarah. Verbal arguments became physical, she told the jury, and we dreaded coming home. As Andrew matured and began taking out his rage on other people and their property, the Leishon Hughes were genuinely afraid of how far he might go. We knew we couldn't control him, said his mother. After her testimony, Andrew's father, his aunt, uncle, and other relatives relayed their difficult encounters with Andrew and the family's ongoing attempts to get help. Andrew's Aunt Amy relived the terrifying moment when he had pointed a loaded gun at her. She told the jury that Andrew seemed to be in some kind of trance and looked like the devil at the time. On the third day of the trial, Dr. Basil Orchard, the first of several psychiatric witnesses called by the defense, told the jury that part of Andrew's mind was shut off, unable to work, when he stabbed Nancy Eaton. Dr. Orchard who had extensive experience working with the criminally insane, added that Andrew was responding to uncontrollable drives, which the doctor attributed to a psychosis produced by a combination of brain dysfunction and a borderline personality disorder. He believed that Andrew's brain had been damaged during his birth, and even if he remembered what he did to Nancy... He had no real conception of what had happened. In other words, the murder was mindless and motiveless. During the Crown's cross-examination, attorney Paul Chumack returned to his key argument that Nancy's murder had been a straightforward, psychopathic sexual attack and Andrew knew what he was doing. 
Dr. Orchard maintained his position and insisted that Andrew lacked the capacity to appreciate that he was killing Nancy. Dr. Orchard's testimony had been compelling, but defense attorney Clayton Ruby had another expert witness to call. Dr. Frank Irvin was the 60-year-old chair of the Department of Psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal. He had trained at the Harvard Medical School and had written hundreds of peer-reviewed medical articles and was the author of a 1970 book called Violence and the Brain. And while he had only met Andrew for one hour a few weeks before the trial began, Dr. Irvin stated that Andrew was not responsible for his actions as a result of his brain dysfunction. He believed the 17-year-old was in a disassociative state when he killed Nancy. Dr. Irvin said that the basic part of Andrew's brain that controls a person's basic drives, the limbic system, was damaged. Then, to use a basic analogy, the esteemed psychiatrist said the teenager had transformed into a crocodile man whose actions were controlled by the primitive limbic part of his brain. That's all the brain the crocodile has, said the psychiatrist. It was, Dr. Irvin believed, this poorly organized crocodile brain, unhindered by the higher part of the brain, which regulates emotions and rational thought, that prompted Andrew's actions when he killed Nancy. Andrew was probably suffering from a limbic seizure at the time of the murder, which created electrical activity in the brain that cut off control and restraint. In other words, according to the doctor, Andrew was a walking time bomb. When asked if he could explain the juggling of eggs and putting the potted plant on the bed, Dr. Irvin had no explanation. More psychiatrists and their varied expert opinions followed over the next few days. And in his summation, Clayton Ruby reiterated his original defense that the murder of Nancy Eaton was not a crime, but a tragedy. Andrew Leishon Hughes had killed the one person he loved because the health system had failed him. At 2.45 p.m. on the ninth day of the proceedings, the trial came to an abrupt end when the Crown conceded that there was overwhelming evidence that Andrew Leishon Hughes was legally insane when he killed Nancy Eaton. As a result, the jury would not have to resolve the question of intent or timing surrounding the murder and sexual assault because a verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity would make everything else related to the case irrelevant. Crown attorney Paul Chumak later said his decision had been based on family testimony and the overwhelming weight of the psychiatric opinions. In a brief address to the jury before sending them to deliberate on their verdict, Judge Callahan told them that he was satisfied with the outcome of the trial. The accused at the time of the killing did not appreciate the quality or nature of his act, said the judge. I'm satisfied he was criminally insane at the time. Judge Callahan also reassured the jury that a finding of insanity would result in Andrew Leishon Hughes being detained indefinitely. He may never go free, he said, unless his illness is cured or controlled to the point where he is no longer a threat to society. And that may be never. The jury took 17 minutes to find Andrew Leishon Hughes not guilty by reason of insanity. The judge ordered Andrew confined to Oak Ridge 
the high-security unit of the Ontario Mental Health Centre in Penetanguishene, Ontario. Andrew's tearful mother hugged Clayton Ruby. Congratulations, said Mrs. Eaton to the lawyer before walking out of the courtroom. Outside the courtroom, Ruby told waiting reporters that his client was pleased with the outcome of the trial. After years of searching, Mr. Leishon Hughes has finally found out what's wrong with him, said the defense attorney. For Mrs. Eaton, the trial had been a necessary but painful experience. It was something that had to be done, she said. She was hopeful that something good would come out of the tragedy of losing her daughter. Speaking fondly of Nancy, Mrs. Eaton said, She would have been angry at Andrew for what he did because it hurt me. But then she would have forgiven him. She was always forgiving. In an interview in October 1986, a month after his arrival at Oak Ridge, Andrew told a journalist, I won't be here for long. I know how to play the game. I don't even need to be here. All I need is a week up at my cottage, and I'll be fine. In 1999, 14 years after being committed to a mental health facility for the criminally insane, 32-year-old Andrew Leishon Hughes requested a transfer to the Royal Ottawa Hospital's forensic ward. Dr. John Bradford, who was head of the hospital's forensic psychiatry division, testified at an Ontario Review Board hearing and said that in his expert opinion, Andrew suffered from brain damage and could be treated with drugs like Paxil, an antidepressant. Dr. Bradford rated Andrew as a moderate risk at reoffending and suggested that he should be transferred to Ottawa and given additional freedoms and privileges like the opportunity to leave the hospital grounds unattended. Andrew's home at the time, the Kingston Psychiatric Hospital, had deemed him too dangerous for such privileges. Another leading forensic psychiatrist who testified at the same hearing disagreed with Dr. Bradford's assessment of Andrew and pointed out that Andrew had scored well above average on psychiatric tests that measure a person's danger to society. Dr. Stephen Hucker stated that he believed Andrew was a clever psychopath who continued to pose a serious risk to the public, particularly anyone involved in a close relationship with him, as Nancy Eaton had been. I've always thought this was a rape that went wrong, concluded Dr. Hucker. But despite conflicting expert testimony, Andrew Leishon Hughes was granted a transfer to the medium security ward of the Ottawa Hospital. Soon after his transfer, Andrew enrolled at Algonquin College to study business. The college was not made aware of his dangerous past. Later that same year, Andrew was caught having a sexual relationship with a psychiatric nurse at the Ottawa Hospital and with a fellow patient, both of which were forbidden under hospital policy. The nurse was fired, and Andrew continued to attend school and spend additional time in the community unaccompanied. He was only required to advise the hospital where he would be going and had to carry a cell phone with him. A year later, he was allowed to travel unescorted to Vancouver to spend Christmas with his parents. At his annual review board hearing in 2006, 21 years after killing Nancy Eaton, Andrew requested a full discharge from the Ottawa Psychiatric Hospital. His request was supported by Dr. Bradford, who told the review panel that his patient wanted to move on with his life, including one day getting married 
and having children. Dr. Bradford stated that Andrew was still attending school, getting good marks, and was working part-time. Today, Andrew Leshawn Hughes is 55 years old. He is no longer hospitalized. It is believed he lives in British Columbia where his parents relocated to. Mrs. Nancy Eaton passed away in 2007 at the age of 82. She never fully recovered from that fateful night in January 1985. Her final resting place is with her much-loved daughter, Tiger. This is the Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.